Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Go ahead, get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, here it is. Great job. Thank you. You're very articulate. I don't know if anyone ever told you that. Thank you. I heard it a couple times. <laughs> That's also a microaggression, That's by the such way. Such a microaggression that it's insane. <laughs> How do people not know this? I don't. I don't. She means so well. I'm gonna. So I'm well. gonna give her a pass on that. We still got work to do. Welcome to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with me, Cara Berry, Real Housewives of New York and Real Housewives of Beverly Hills Edition. Woo! Let's start off with New York, which is proving to be part two of (laughs) why we shouldn't be fucking with Luann and really Ramona. But my God, did we ever think that like Luann would be first in line and then Ramona? And that it's almost not that close of a second? Not me. Wasn't expecting to be here, but here we are. So, of course, you guys know last week we left off with a just shit show of aggressions, both micro and macro, and just inherent racism and problematic behavior at the hands of both Luann and Ramona. And we start off this episode with a back and forth between what's happening once Ebony leaves Luann's house and Luann in the kitchen talking to everybody about what happened. Um, Ebony is telling Heather and Sonia outside as she's waiting for her car, like, you guys don't need to go with me. That's your friend. Like, I'm fine. I'm totally fine being by myself. And Luann, on the other hand, is being really defensive and continuing to call Ebony angry and say that she didn't bring race into the conversation. And Ramona says Ebony has issues. 
Do you think that one of her um, issues is racism? I think that might be her issue, Ramona. Um, so in a confessional, Sonia says women don't like being called angry. And when you're a winner's black woman, avoid it. And if you do do that, you back down right away and you say, wow, I didn't realize and now I do. And then a hero comes along with the strength to carry on. And that hero is Sonia Tremont Adams Morgan. Wow. She really showed the fuck out on this episode and I'll be giving her her flowers for that in just a moment. So back outside, Heather tells Ebony that everybody needs to listen. And Ebony says the people need to listen, even if they don't like what they hear. And that's the problem with this situation that's happening. Well, it's really, you know, that is a statement that we could be making for the world at large, really, is that there are going to have to be, and this is something that Sonia seemed to understand, and we'll talk about that in a second, that in order for any of us to move forward, in order for us, whether it has to be race with race or whatever, is that we have to have these uncomfortable conversations and we're going to have to listen, even if our egos are at the forefront telling us that being defensive and stuff like that. Like, I posted about, and I'm sure you guys heard about, Ellie Kemper, the chick from The Office, and Kimmy Schmidt, who had, in when she was 19, I believe, participated and had been, like, the queen of this um, ball called the Veiled Prophet Ball in St. Louis, which is, like, she comes from a family with a lot of money, and uh, from what I understand, like, her, the Kemper name is, like, a big name in St. Louis, <clears throat> in Missouri. And, um... That she was like the queen of this ball that has a lot of history rooted in racism. There were like not ties to the KKK, but a lot of similarities. And basically, if it's not racist, which it seems to be because they only allowed black people to be at this ball in like 1979, <laughs> um, that if it was not directly tied to the KKK, that there were definitely some like racist and classist aspects to this ball. So she issued an apology. And one of the things that I liked most about her apology, I'm sorry, there's a lot of outside noise and I hope you can't hear that. (laughs) But one of the things that I found poignant about what she said is, let me quote her directly. She says in one of her slides, there is a very natural temptation when you become the subject of internet criticism to tell yourself that your detractors are getting it all wrong. But at some point last week, I realized that a lot of the forces behind the criticism are the forces that I've spent my life supporting and agreeing with. Now, this is a great thing. I think a really good thing that um, Luann could learn from is that you, we don't have to get defensive. And look around at the people who are being critical of the things that you've said and done and see in normal circumstances, if you were to take yourself out of the line of fire, so to speak, would you, do you tend to side with them on the issues of character and what is, what things to do and what not to do? And if you find yourself being, if you, tend to agree with these people, but you find yourself disagreeing when it comes to you, then that's really something that you need to take a look at. 
So back to Luann, in her own confessional, a confessional that we know happens after the fact, Lou very clearly still doesn't understand what the deal is. She says that Ebony claimed to be the smartest woman at the table, which we all know for a fact is not what she said, and how that was a derogatory statement towards her, and for somebody so well-educated, that was a really dumb thing to say. I have to laugh at the idea of Luann thinking that she's dunking on Ebony and her supposed, uh, I, I don't know, like, reputation, according to Luann, as, like, too smart and, too, you know, like, trying to get over on people because of her, like using her education as a weapon, weaponizing her degrees against these women when, God, she really is so smug about the fact that like, oh, oh, if if Ebony was so educated, you know, first of all, you have to stop conflating educated with smart because not only is that not what Ebony said, it's not the conversation to be had at all. Everybody knows (laughs) that there are, Many educated, many smart people who do not have formal educations, obviously. Um, it's just a fa- it's just funny to me that like Luann is trying to think she's doing the most and making a point when really she's like really kind of driving the point home that maybe she's not that smart because she didn't understand what Ebony was saying in the first place. So. Ebony goes back to Ramona's house and finds Leah hanging out on her bed and tells her she got kicked out. And Leah's like, wait, what? <laughs> and then Ebony told, says, Luann called me an angry black woman. And Leah gets off of the bed like, no, she didn't. No, she did not say that to you. Now, in the interest of absolute fairness, is it fair to say that Luann did not literally say that call Ebony an angry blank black woman? Sure. But the argument very quickly goes away when Luann doesn't recognize the implications behind what she said and how triggering and hurtful that is. And it definitely goes away if you guys watch the Watch What Happens Live that happened after with Ebony and Casey from Bitch Sesh in which Ebony was said on more than one occasion that there has been radio silence between she and Luann. And it's very obvious that Ebony feels some type of way and feels like Luann does not understand what she said. I mean, we know she has not made any statement about uh, her feelings. So, you know, the silence is deafening. We'll say that. Um, So in a confessional, Ebony brings up a point about black women. And it's a point that I really wish we could talk about a lot more, which is that society does not allow black women to have a range of emotions or even just downright passion when it comes to an issue. And it's a problem. And Ebony says, I want my friend Luann to give me more credit than that. So... Then Ebony is, like, recounting what happened after Leah left Leah and, you know, how Ramona and and Luann were going on about how they feel about certain sexual terms and words and conversations being had in front of them. And then Ebony says, Luann works on a hierarchy system because of that countess title. Bam. And that's really what I think the biggest issue is. Like... 
I want to say that I think a good majority of people do not say problematic things with the conscious idea that what they're saying is problematic or racist. I do believe that. I think that's not an unfair thing to say. However, we also live in... Many people live in different worlds in which they just don't have to be conscious of what they say and how they say it and how they bring up stereotypes. And what I think Luann's first problem is that Luann is ignorant to race in this country, for sure. We have seen many an example when it comes to that about Luann's ignorance and a really aggressive ignorance when it comes to racial issues. Um, but I think another side of that is that Luann <clears throat> does cling tight to that title. And I think Luann doesn't realize how that threads throughout her life because she looks at Sonia for a lot of things really to make her feel better about herself that are unwarranted and unfair to Sonia. Um, But I also think she looks at Sonia as like, oh, you're still stuck in your past marriage. Oh, you're Morgan this, you're Morgan that. I got the, you know, we're on a yacht, Nigerian football team. Fair. All of those are fair things. But we have seen... You know, we know that there are a spectrum of Luann's and there is down to earth Lou, there is Mrs. Deliceps, there's the Countess, there's Cabaret Luann and, you know, proper Luann. And where am I going with this? (laughs) The version of Luann that we're seeing now is a different version where it's like half asshole, half I don't know, just like has her head in the stand, Sam. And very clearly, once Ebony brought up education, it was a trigger for her because she clearly, there's some insecurity happening there that like is not Ebony's fault or her business. Um, that Luann needs to like take a look within herself and, and figure it out and unpack it. Um, so then we see Heather sit down at the table. We're still at. Luann's house. So Heather sits down at the table after she um, talks to and says goodbye to Ebony and Sonia sits down. So at the table we have Heather, Sonia, Ramona, Lou, uh, Kurt the Naked Guy, uh, Victoria, and her uh, Luann's niece, Nicole. So Heather is trying to educate Luann. And Heather says... I understand you were just using the word angry as a blanket statement, but you need to be more conscious when you use that towards a black woman. And you can hear Victoria say, you should have just said that she was upset. We did not see a lot of Victoria's reactions in this moment, but I could tell something in her face was like, ugh. <laughs> like she has maybe half-heartedly tried to or attempted to uh educate her mom in the past, or she's definitely heard her mom say problematic things, but there's just, like, the weariness of, like, Lord, here's my mom again doing that thing that, like, I wish that we could have kept behind closed doors, but here we are with a whole production crew. So here's, 
I think Rona is getting a lot of, um, maybe not passes, but I think people are so focused on Luann that they're not as focused on the things that Ramona's doing and saying in these times that are also problematic. Um, but when Heather says, she brings up the fact that Ebony told Ramona she was using her white fragility when she was like covering her ears and telling Ebony like, oh, you're so loud. Like, please be quiet. I can't, you know, I can't, my, my poor precious eardrums. Um, and Ramona says, well, I didn't know what white fragility meant. And Heather says, well, maybe you should have asked Ramona, or maybe you should have asked Ebony what it meant. And Ramona says like, well, you know, I, she was just so upset and I just didn't know what to say. And she uses this body language that is like, makes her feel like it makes her seem fragile. <laughs> funny how that happens but it just made it put her in this light like you know Ebony was just so angry and like I just didn't know and like the way she was like hugging herself and like self-soothing and like diminishing her body to make it seem like I was just so afraid of her like come on we have seen Ramona go after everybody in public spaces private spaces um you know, screaming at people like, oh, but all of a sudden, like, you were so scared of Ebony and her screaming. We have seen Ramona very confidently say words that do not exist in um, Merriam-Webster's dictionary, uh, Urban Dictionary, reggae, kadoos. Oh, but you can say that very confidently with your whole chest, but all of a sudden you can't speak in front of Ebony. Okay, you can miss me with that for sure. So Heather says, you know, the issues between Ramona, you, and Leah are easily able to go away. But what happened between y'all and Ebony is uh, not easy. And I think that to understand each other is the most important thing. And you guys need to go in there with apologies. And Luann looks at her like, what? I have to apologize? Like... It was never even a thought that crossed her mind. Very, very strange. Um, In a confessional, Heather says that instead of seeing any pain and suffering, righteousness comes to play with Luann, with regard to Luann. And we need to strip the ego and listen to someone else's perspective. And if there's any time for that within this group, it would be right now. So then Heather tells Luann that it's, their responsibility as white women to push pause on the reaction of, you know, to being defensive and say, wait a minute, what did I do to make you feel that way? So then everybody gets back to Ramona's house and Heather joins up and she meets Leah and Ebony in their room to talk about what happened after Ebony left. And Heather says what I had said earlier, which is that Luann's ego comes before anything. And Ebony says she can't be in a friend group that doesn't have the consciousness to say that Ebony's experience in this country is vastly different than theirs. And this marks the first time that Heather made me just fall out in laughter. (laughs) We are seeing just a whole range of white women behavior. I mean, I don't think that's unfair to say this is a show that's mostly about white women, but like we have 
Luann, who was aggressively ignorant and also letting her ego guide the way in not being able to see why what she did is something that she should be taking fault for and taking the L for and just keeping it pushing. Um, then we have Ramona, who is equally as problematic, but she's like trying to listen. She's clearly a, more conscious of being canceled <laughs> than Luann was, which is interesting because Ramona didn't even know what cancel culture was two ep- until two episodes ago. Um, then you have Heather and Leah, which I'm going to put at the same... They're one and the same here. They're the Spider-Man meme pointing at each other. I think they're both well-meaning, but they're both not there yet. They clearly have more experiences in a more multicultural world and then um you know like Luann and Ramona would um but and they clearly like lean liberal and all of that but there's still a lot of work to be done and then we have Sonia who pff, fucking killing it um so Heather <laughs> Heather turns to Ebony And she says, you know, like, I just have a different lens on it because I've been in the homes and in the core of Black America, and it's a beautiful place, and I'm just so happy about my experience. Why are you talking about, like, you've been in the homes of Black... Like, what do you mean? (laughs) As if she's, like, toured the safari... Like, like, toured, um, you know, every Black... Did you go to Detroit? Did you... Did you go to the Mississippi... And, and you went in the homes of black people and it's such a beautiful experience as so though you went on a safari and got to look at a, like how giraffes and elephants live amongst each other. Like <laughs> you talk about it like you're a tourist. You we're just black. We it's not like <laughs> it shouldn't have to be that different. Like, you're like, I went here like she's talking about knowing black people like she went on a trip to Bali And it, like, changed her life. Let me break it down a little bit more. Heather is the type of white person to go to Africa and take a bunch of pictures with, like, little black kids and, like, hug one and, like, be like, oh, you know, I I love these kids. Like, oh, they're so so beautiful. (laughs) Like, like, it's really changed my life. But Leah is, like, she met a bunch of black people through Rob. Let's be real. (laughs) and through her baby daddy Rob and yeah like she can kick it and like she can go to the parties and she'll invite them to her parties and it's like yeah it's like like oh look at how down down cool downtown and cool I am but then she'll say things about voting and we'll get into that later so Vinny is like she did what I would do which is like okay Heather why don't you tell me more about your experience how about that? And Heather's like, well, I worked for Puffy for five years and I worked with Beyonce. And Ebony's like, okay, that's not like real black America. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like the part that's not just hip hop and entertainment. And Heather says, well, yeah, like, let's not talk about Puffy, Puffy because that's like fake black America. Like that's an illusion. An illusion? <laughs> uh, what do you mean by that, ma'am? <laughs> Puffy is a very real rich black man. It, that's real. That That's not an illusion. But then she starts talking about how like, oh, you know, I 
talk to the interns and, you know, the people that weren't making money like them. And it's like, okay, <laughs> okay, Heather. <laughs> and then he does say something in a confessional, like, you know, I think that Heather is uh, delusional basically, but she has an an elevated sense of awareness, but she can over-familiarize herself with um, aspects of Black culture in a way that makes me slightly uncomfortable. And I think that is 1,000% accurate. Ooh. Girl. <laughs> Just because you have a picture of you and Diddy from 15 years ago and that you helped work with House of Darion and Tina Knowles. Like, are are they friends now? Can you call Beyonce? Can you call Tina? Get Tina on the main line. Is Diddy hitting you up for the white parties still? How, you know, that's my question. Remember last summer when a bunch of white people felt really guilty and then they would post like these essays about how they never saw color and how they were never racist and they post a picture of them in elementary school or middle school with their black friend, their black friend that they have not spoken to since they left school. <laughs> that That's the type of girl that Heather is. And then Heather brings up another like, just as a person who's li who lives in New York, like the... It's just a, such a funny example of like, you know, my, I have a black friend who wears all designer clothes and he can't catch, hail a cab and I would have to hail cabs for him. And it, you know, like that's just really heartbreaking. And, you know, I have seen a lot of things that white people have not seen. And, you know, Ebony says, I'm going to have this conversation with Lou. I hope it can be a very adult conversation, and I hope that Luann will apologize for de defaulting into stereotypes and tropes about black people and their reactions and emotions. And then Heather turns to Leah and tries to give her some advice on how to handle the situation with Ramona, but in a confessional, Leah says, you know, whatever happened with me and Ramona, it doesn't matter anymore when we're dealing with race issues. So... Then we see Ramona and Sonia in the kitchen and Ramona's trying to, <laughs> trying to make things fun and says, you know, we were going to have a cooking night. I was planning on like all having like a fun girls night. And she makes Sonia turn around and reveals these aprons that she got for everybody, which are like, you know, uh, like a very Panama Beach spring break 98 where you get the shirt and it's like, it's got like a hot, sexy bikini body on it and you can put it on. You're like not hot and sexy bikini body. Um, I, we never really saw any of that, did we? But I just like, uh, I was dying to know, did Ramona buy all white lady bodies with aprons or did she get a special one for Ebony? That is a mystery that I would like solved. Heather really is, like, just doing the hard, hard work. She's going from door to door trying to facilitate something, you know, some kind of peace treaty amongst the, the sides here. So she goes into Luann's room to try and facilitate a conversation between her and Ebony. And Luann's still being very defensive and says, Ebony got off her seat and she was in her face, which is, a, again, another gross exaggeration of what happened and a true example of white fragility lest we not forget 
Ebony was sitting directly next to Luann. So if she was in her face, it's because, and I don't think she was, if she was in her face, it was because they were sitting right next to each other. I don't recall Ebony getting up off her seat until she was asked to leave. (laughs) So you're memory of this in a way that makes you a victim is just not a great look not a great look at all like ebony was out here playing bad girls club you know while luann was trying to have a peaceful martha stewart moment in her backyard and heather says listen ebony reacted because you said something wrong and luann is like well i just feel like she misunderstood me and you know As though it was like Ebony's responsibility to understand her correctly, you know? And then Heather says, well, maybe we can sit down together and understand a little bit more about each other and move on. And Luann's like, I'm all for it. But, you know, she's all for it because she's expecting to get an apology because she thinks that she was the one who was wronged. So everybody sits down to figure things out. And I, I liked... I don't often... I've grown weary of these arguments that we have on Housewives that are happening with everybody. But I think in this case, this is something that needed to happen. And I I, I appreciated it. So Ebony starts by saying that she holds Lou in high regard and that she hopes that she knows that. So when Lou told her she was angry, that was unacceptable to her. So then Ebony says, you know, whether you're aware or not, Using the term angry in reference to a black woman has a long stereotypical history and black women in this country have never been afforded the opportunity to be fully, to have like a fully human experience because the minute we raise her voice and she does acknowledge that she did raise her voice at Lou, you painted me with a broad brush that we unfortunately do in this country that when a black woman shows up in a way we don't like, excuse me said, when I raised my voice, you painted me with a broad brush that is that of somebody who has seen a black person behave in a way that they don't like. So then Ebony says, you know, it hurt me and I would love it for you. I would love, I'm sorry, I'm I'm walking right over my words. So it's, it hurts me and I would love for you to be okay if I'm upset sometimes and not use the term angry when I am upset because it does trigger the stereotype of being an angry black woman. And I've worked my whole life. She starts getting emotional to never show up as an angry black woman because I have a responsibility to myself and also to other black women. Um, so Luann says she was not trying to say that she was an angry woman to try and belittle her and make her feel less than, And she just thinks it was a major miscommunication. And the better word that she could have used was upset. And then she starts talking about like, oh, but you know, Victoria was there when you were yelling and my Taurus horns um, went up. And, you know, uh, then Luann says, well, you have to educate me. And Ramona, who was sitting next to Ebony, says, yes, you you need to educate me too. You know, because I really just don't know. Like, you have to educate both of us. And so then Luann says, I apologize, and I hope you would extend the same to me. And everybody looks around, and it's just like a pin could drop. (laughs) And Ebony says, 
you want me to apologize for making you upset. And Luann says, well, I want you to recognize that I was upset as well. And in a confessional, Ebony says, we just went five steps forward to go 10 steps backwards. And that's the problem, Luann. I get to be upset. Like, (laughs) it just like cracks me it cracks me up not in a genuinely funny way. It's just like, I think even if this was not an issue to do with race, Luann would have expected an apology anyway, because she's giving one. Like, I think she feels like there should be a transaction when it comes to apologies, but like you're expecting an apology from somebody who reacted to what they perceived was racism. So you don't get an apology for that. <laughs> so here's where Sonia's time to shine. So she turns to Luann and says, well, explain why you're upset. And Luann says, well, she's struggling. She's like really like just pulling through every scrap in her mind of like, okay, why am I upset at Lu- Ebony right now? What is it? What is it that I can claim so I can get this apology that I allegedly need? Um, And she says it upset her that Ebony was yelling and wouldn't listen. (laughs) And she wouldn't listen to Luann over something she didn't really understand. Interesting. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Who's not listening, Luann? I don't think it's Ebony. I don't think it's her. So Sonia says, well, that is frustrating, but who should be apologizing here? And Heather says... Here's the point I think we're missing is that white people, as white people, we need to apologize to Ebony for what she was upset about and then move on (laughs) because Ebony was reacting to a trigger that she just explained to you very well. (laughs) So Leanne says, well, I apologize for triggering you. And Ebony says, I hear you and I accept that, but I am not going to apologize just because there's an expectation for me um, for having a natural reaction to a very deep seated triggering word and concept. So I can apologize for being upset, but I would like to acknowledge to all of you that my dear friend Leah over here cussed all y'all out, called all you guys host to your face. Nobody called her angry. And in fact, she was told to just calm back and come to the, come back to the table. Calm down and come back to the table because she wasn't held to that standard of anger. And Ramona's first reaction is, well, we just gave her a pass because her grandma's dying. And everybody's like, my grandma's dying too. (laughs) Do we not remember that? Ebony is on it 100%. She's like, "Uh, by the way, while we're all sitting here, just so you know, like, I heard you guys, you, Luann and Ramona, ask me very nicely, but you asked me to educate you. And just so we're clear, like, I'm not going to be doing that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to be doing that. And Ramona's like, well, I never said that. She's like, no, you, you just did, again, very sweetly, but you literally just said that. And Ramona's like, well, I'm trying to teach you to cook tonight. Maybe you didn't know how to cook. And everybody's like, no, don't deflect. Do not deflect, please. <laughs> Sonia's rolling her eyes. And then in a confessional, Sonia says, the burden is on us as white privileged ladies. 
we're not just going to turn the page and move forward. We have to read the page, feel the pain, be a little bit awkward, and then we can turn some more pages. And and then she nods like, duh. (laughs) Like it could all be so simple. And really, it could be. When you put it like that, Sonia, it really sounds so easy. And this is where I'm going to have to pause and give Sonia her flowers. We saw her in the beginning. She is getting roasted left, right, and center, being Eiffel Towered by Ramona and Luann. Like, why didn't you come to my Hamptons house this summer? Why aren't you paying attention to us? Why don't you call us back? Blah, blah, blah. I saw Quincy at some restaurant. She said, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, why don't you want to be friends with us? And Oh, Sonia, you're so desperate. I'll just throw you some. You're so jealous of me and Garth. I can tell. And uh, Tom was my man and you just fucked him once. But I'm the one who got to marry him. And I'll just throw you some random dude named Alfredo in a, in a Che Guevara shirt. And won't you just be happy for my leftovers? And it's like, I really thought more about what is going on with Sonia this season. Clearly... She's suffering the loss of the Century 21 deal that fell through because Century 21 uh, went bankrupt. Um, uh, 2020 was hard on all of us. She's just trying to figure it out. And here's the other thing. I don't think Sonia has a problem with being vulnerable at all. (laughs) I think we see it. All the time, we can see examples of it all the time. Maybe, uh, Ramona and Luann, maybe you're just not providing a soft place to land for your alleged friend. Maybe you should stop slut-shaming her and saying we want to be there for you. But it's like, do you? Because the first time you saw her, you both tag-teamed her and made her tried to make her feel bad about it. Maybe while you guys were so busy gallivanting all over Palm Beach and the Hamptons over the summer, maybe you should have thought, like, I don't know, maybe I'll look into what's happening (laughs) in the world. Why are these people protesting? What are they so angry about? Maybe, maybe I should look into that. Apparently, Sonia was doing the fucking work. That's what she was so busy. She couldn't answer your phone because she was doing the work and the research. And God bless her for it. Now, granted, there have been no black people around before, really, for us to see um, this side of Sonia come out. Um, But this is, I think, everybody agrees, is a shocking level of clarity to Sonia Morgan. And I think that Luann and Ramona have been working in overtime to seem to make Sonia seem lesser than them, incapable, weak. And now look at her. <laughs> Smartest woman in the room about an issue that is incredibly complex and deep. And she has chosen to educate herself and Ramona and Lou have decided to be this. Whatever this is. So anyway, Ramona then asks Ebony for a little bit of patience and Ebony and Sonia at the same time are basically, basically, wow. (laughs) Ebony and Sonia are basically like, uh, I think she's been abundantly patient with you guys. And so Ebony and Luann end up hugging and in a confessional, Ebony says, 
I think it was an uncomfortable and awkward situation and conversation for everybody, but I do think that we got somewhere. So we end the night with Ebony telling Ramona, hey, you know, thanks for the dinner. I think I'm just going to order some comfort food and I'll see you guys in the morning. But before she goes upstairs, Sonia catches her. Kind of diffuse the situation a little bit more. And Ebony says, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. And Sonia's like, yeah, you know, like I'm a loser. And Ebony stops her immediately and says, no, actually, you're a queen, and I want you to know that. And Sonia says, you know, that's so nice, and Leah said that to me, too, like, I underestimated myself, and I just need to get a little bit better self-esteem, and Ebony says, you're a high-worth person, no matter what anybody says, and that is coming from me, a woman of high-worth. And then Ebony says that Sonia has allowed her group of friends to classify her as less than valuable, She's like, I think she's dope. I think she's a badass, but she doesn't believe it because it's been told to her and she's internalized it. And I'm never here for that. Thank you. I, what I am here for is this friendship between Sonia and Ebony. I think this is a great pairing. LOL number two out of Heather is she goes back into Ebony and Leah's room to um, get a bag that she left there. And as she's closing the door... (laughs) she turns to Ebony and says, you're really articulate, by the way. I don't know if anybody's ever said that to you before. (laughs) And Ebony's like, yeah, I think I've heard that a time or two. And as soon as she closes the door, Ebony goes, that's a microaggression. That's a big microaggression, by the way. And Ebony's, or Leah's like, yeah, I I know. (laughs) Ebony's like, you know what? She means well. I'm just going to give her a pass. Like, and this... This is like another aspect of black culture that is not often seen. It's where you're just like, (laughs) you came so close, Heather, and then you had to call me articulate. Like, how did you not know that calling a black person articulate is like not the move, girl? Oh, heaven help us. The next morning, everybody's getting ready. And for some reason, Ramona has one of those fans that like women put over their naked bodies to be like suggestive during a cabaret moment i'm guessing this is going to come up with that 70s honestly i don't know why she had the fans but she's talking to sonia and (laughs) she tells sonia you know i was just thinking last night of what it would feel like if i was like let's say the only white chick with all black chicks and there's just some differences and it just made me aware that i have to emphasize empathize with people and their struggles and Maybe sometimes I'm in my own little world. (laughs) And Sonia's like, you you can say that again. (laughs) In a confessional, Ramona says that Ebony has opened her eyes and to so many ways. And she's Googling all these things now. And she's been more aware than she's ever been before. And to that, I say, yeah, we know, Ramona. We know. (laughs) Um, We see a click. Quick clip of Ebony calling her friend Devin to set up a matchmaking session for Sonia. Um, Later, she tells Sonia about it and they have another heart to heart about just like, I need to believe in myself. I really appreciate that and how she's kind of um, lapping up the attention of Ebony because 
for all intents and purposes, it seems like the only person in her life who's trying to make her feel better and make her feel like she is a high-value, high-worth person. There really wasn't a whole lot to talk about this beach fishing situation, except I have a hot take, which is that I liked Leah's outfit. (laughs) I liked the hat with the puffy vibe. I liked the three button the three jeans into one pant i liked it i thought sonia had it totally right she looked like a girl from london to me she looked like right out of adelia's catalog from like 1998 and i think that's what i vibed with the most like she just looked whatever i liked it i thought it was cool (laughs) ebony and luann have another like quick sit down on the beach and Luann starts talking about how she was crying. She had tears about the whole situation. And, you know, she can't fix what's been happening in the world, but she can just try to be a better communicator. The thing that I notice is that in Luann's confessionals, or really the entire time she's talking about this situation, she never brings up the racial aspect of it, except for when she says it's like, I can't fix what happening, what's happening in the world. And when she tried to say, like, I didn't bring race into this, Ebony did, I didn't say she's black, blah, blah, blah. Like, i didn't not the one who brought this up. It's just interesting how she kind of, like, navigates around the real issue. And what she keeps saying is some version of, like, oh, I can't remember. But she, I just feel like there was a lot of, like, you know, pussy popping around the situation. So the ladies sit down for a beachside lunch and they're talking about the things that they're going to be doing for the talent show later. And then Ebony invites them to come over to her house and watch the election results. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Heather asks everybody at the table, like, are you guys going to vote early? And Leah starts talking about how she's so disgusted with politics because she can't stand the way either side has become and it like she just doesn't even want to partake anymore and then starts saying like I struggled in 2016 and then she turns to Heather and puts her hands up and says and please don't come at me with some really self-righteous shit like you need to vote stuff like and Heather's like I wasn't gonna say anything I was just gonna ask you a question which is if you plan on actually voting and Leah says, at this point, if I vote, it's going to be for Biden. And it's not because I like him. It's just because I want things to go back to normal. And Heather says, well, that's why you vote. And in a confessional, Leah says that she has every intention of voting. She's just voicing, voicing her dissatisfaction. And this is just another way for Heather to put her opinion and on her and feel morally superior to her. I don't know why I'm having such a problem with words these days. (laughs) You guys, I'm sorry. (laughs) (sighs) I have an issue, not an issue. Maybe that's not fair. I have a particular sensitivity to talk about people and the losses they're going through. (sighs) I had a really hard time talking about like Carl on summer house because I just feel like I don't, this is not the space for like nuance about death really it's sad and we should just let it be sad and I want to see it and feel the emotions in the moment when I'm watching it but I don't necessarily like I haven't found a mature and nuanced way to talk about death as it happens on reality tv um with that being said 
I have seen there being a lot of conversations about should Leah have gone home? Should she have not come on this trip at all? Etc. Etc. And I was, I have to admit, like, my initial reaction was like, girl, she should not be there. She should, she just shouldn't be there. Clearly she's going through it. This is probably, you know, just not the time. She could have sat this one out. But then I'm thinking, do I feel that way because of what she's, how she's acting? Or do I feel that way because I'm uncomfortable with seeing people be upset? You know what I mean? Like, am I watching the, like, because I feel like these conversations about Leah being there don't come when she's like, I don't, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but I just feel like we need to think, do we not want Leah to be there because we don't want to deal with her reality or because we think she's not dealing with her reality? Maybe that's like the nicest way to put that. I just think, I wonder if people really looked they would find that, like, they're just uncomfortable dealing with what she's having to go through, you know? Because it's a very real thing, and it's part of life. I mean, this is reality. This is reality is that there are going to be times where a family member dies, and we're working, and we're having to just work through that bereavement. This is her job, technically, and, yeah, I mean we look at this as, oh, she's just on a vacation or she's on a trip with her girlfriends. She should have just stayed home. But ultimately, I don't know. I I just think this is like a very layered thing. And I just think that we should just like, however she decided to do it, wherever she decided to be is where she decided to be. And I just think we shouldn't judge Leah. And I'm, I'm putting myself on that too. Leah does say in a confessional, like she gets a call from her mom. Her mom's saying that, you know, things are continuing to decline for her grandmother so she has to you know go to a separate room and cry and she's talking to her mom and then she says in a confessional first of all like if my grandmother was able to speak if she was in her right mind I probably would have left and I also have a big family and the likelihood that I would even have access to her in the hospital at this point is probably slim to none so I'm just gonna leave first thing in the morning So she goes back to the makeup chair and then she starts crying again and Ebony comforts her and she says it's hard to see Leah because she's suffering on her own but from her perspective they're sort of on a parallel track of losing their grandmothers and it's like seeing how Leah is is like looking into the future as to how she's going to be mourning and the things that she's going to be going through. So then things start to heat up. The ladies are getting ready to go to this pageant thing and Heather's helping Sonia with her hair. And she's saying like, your girl Leah's really coming for me. And she was calling me self-righteous. And I just think like, she's the one who said she wasn't going to vote, you know? (laughs) And meanwhile, Ebony's telling Leah that we, she had this conversation with uh, Heather earlier, conversation that we didn't see, in which they're talking about their frustrations towards Leah's will she, won't she vote 
conversation. And she basically, like, Ebony's trying to say, hey, I talked to Heather. Here's what's happened. And Leah's like, I just... I just don't like that Heather's in every conversation and she feels like she's the authority on everything. She's the authority on race. She's the authority of voting. She's the authority of sleeping. She's the authority of what to do when your family member dies. And I'm just like, chill. <laughs> and I mean, it's like, I hear you and I love you, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I think she, Heather was extremely bothered by you saying you weren't sure if you were going to be voting in this election. And from my perspective, it pains me because the stakes for me are so high with COVID relief police brutality and Leah just kind of ignores her and this is why I say that Heather and Leah are alike but they're like two they're like and not alike because Leah in this moment could have taken the time to listen to her black friend about why the election was so important for her and why there were so many things that were going to be damaging about continuing the presidency that was happening at the time. Right. So rather than listen to her, she's like, Oh, Heather was talking about me. Like, Oh, I gotta go. I gotta go. Now we're done. Now I'm fucking done. So Leah's upstairs. There's a balcony that looks over on the like foyer that Sonia and Heather are, uh, standing by and <sighs> Leah starts asking Heather like why are you talking about me what did you say and Leah says do not talk about whether or not I'm going to vote it's none of your fucking business you are white feminism 101 you are the fucking problem you think you're the authority on everything do not talk about me don't talk about anything that I say it's none of your fucking business why do you have to be in everybody's business like a Karen do you understand what I'm saying? And the other's like, not really. <laughs> so then Leah tells her to fuck off and not talk to her friend about her and her choices. And Heather's like, which friend are you talking about? Are you talking about Sonia? And Ebony comes by and she's like, no, she's talking about me. Yeah, like I told her, <laughs> I told her what she said. <laughs> so um, Leah's like, you don't have to be part of every conversation. Like, don't speak to me about my personal political decisions. You are the problem. Karen's like you. So Leah's trying to take this stake as though Heather is trying to lord her opinion. Like, as she apparently has been trying to do this whole time is lord her opinions on Leah. And that Leah feels like this political conversation is somehow different than what Ebony was just trying to have with her. And it wasn't. Like, Ebony feels the exact same way that Heather does and said as much (laughs) to both Heather and Leah, but Leah only wants to come for Heather. And I don't, it's just like, you just want to be mad at Heather, (laughs) but it's also coming at the detriment of your friend, Ebony, who like wanted you to listen to her and you didn't. Even on a budget quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So Leah walks away and everybody's trying to get ready to leave. And Ebony turns to Heather and says, I just want to let you know what I said to Leah. And I said that I feel the same way that you feel, that everybody who can vote should. And I also said, specifically as a black woman, the stakes for me are very high. And Leah goes outside and screams about Heather. Heather's being full of shit and um, says, you don't care who I vote for or not. You just want me to vote for who you're going to vote for. And Leah starts yelling about how her grandmother's dying and calling for Heather to leave her alone and Ramona is saying, you know, uh, Leah's lashing out at Heather the same way that she lashes out at me sometimes. <laughs> and with Leah's like this, I don't know what to do. The way that, that Ramona tries to, like, therapize and unpack her relationship with Leah, and she, like, never gets it right. I don't really know what the right answer is. There's something clearly very, like, ladybird about Leah and Ramona's relationship, but I think that's more... Ramona putting this mother-daughter situation and relationship on Leah than the other way around. Like, Ramona really thinks that Leah looks to her as, like, a matriarch. (laughs) And it's very funny to me. So everybody's trying to get into the sprinter to go to this damn party that probably isn't going to be interesting at all, but I guess we'll see next week. And, um, Luann... And Leah's already in the sprinter. Luann and Heather walk into the sprinter and Leah's like, Luann, don't leave me in here with this <laughs> And Heather goes, oh, relax, bitch. <laughs> and Leah's like, no, fuck you, bitch. And she's throwing the flowers that she had in her hand at Heather, which I guess is what Heather was saying when she was telling everybody that Leah assaulted her. I think that's just her throwing roses at her <laughs> in a sprinter. Oh, I I just threw some huge peonies at you in a gigantic six-figure minivan. Oh, no. Oh, the horror. Oh, the horror, Heather. (laughs) Luann's on the outside of the sprinter screaming, Hurry up, you guys. They're going to kill each other. (laughs) Ebony's walking around with a bottle of Casa Azul. Like, oh no, let me get to this van real quick and try to defuse the situation. Leah gets out of the van and says, You know, I'm not riding with her. She goes back in the house and Luann's like trying to convince her, like, just take, we'll just take our car. Like, could we just go and try and have a good time and you could just be separated first? She's like, I don't want to be with her. I don't want to be in the car with her. I don't want to be around her. I'm not going. You guys can go. I'm not going. I'm leaving. And that's, we leave off of the to be continued again. I feel like the Bravo editors are being real loosey goosey with these to be continueds because those used to mean quite a bit, and I think they're the impact is waning, if you will. Um, but yeah, let's move on to Beverly Hills. Hi, how are well, you? You look all dolled up and beautiful. Oh my god, I don't feel that way. I just wanted to kind of end on a good note because you didn't come to dinner. I feel like I was a part of that. 
I didn't do a great job of including you in the group, and I should have been nicer. Thank you. So I don't know if you remember, but the second night, but you came in my room and in the middle of the night. Your coat. I was naked. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I was just giving your coat back. You know. But I mean, like if someone like drops on the ground and covers their body, you I'm don't like so stay sorry. in the room. And then you said something like, "What are you doing over there?" Oh, I don't. I didn't mean it like that. I I really didn't. I like I just felt like my boundaries were crossed, mm-hmm. and so I just felt. Um, Sort of like my space was violated a little bit. It It was weird. and Well, it was weird. I did knock. It was so creepy and weird. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be creepy and weird. All right, y'all. Let's get into Beverly Hills. It is the morning. And Crystal and Lisa and Garcelle are chatting and, you know, just getting ready for their day. Erica walks in and asks Crystal how she's feeling because she feels like Crystal's getting a lot of heat from the other girls, <clears throat> Sutton. Um, and she says she doesn't like it. So Garcelle does try to defend Sutton and say, you know, she's got a lot going on. She's moving. And I just have to say, if you can afford to rent a $20,000 house on top of building your actual dream home, like, I don't really, that's not a problem. That is, that's, I mean, I can't even say that champagne problems. That is just, like, not a problem. I understand she's a mother. Maybe she has some sentimental attachment to the home. But, girl, you're going to be flipping out at everybody left, right, and... Well, Crystal, really, left, right, and center. And making every grown-ass women go into a semicircle and raise their hands if they knew about a joke that you weren't the brunt of the joke you weren't the butt you weren't the butt um that's not a problem i'm sorry maybe i'm being insensitive maybe there's like some element that is missing from this but like i can't i can't with this in a confessional lisa says she thinks sutton is harmless and just that her emotions take over her and they get away from her but she feels also like there's something underneath that needs to come to the surface and yeah i would say so can we just pause that and recognize that in this moment lisa rinna is deciding to give us like hunter s thompson chic with this bucket hat and the aviators what what's happening there (laughs) anyway they have a few hours before their main activity so everybody's like oh you know maybe i'll go shopping maybe i'll do this you know whatever lisa's like does anybody want to go do yoga and they're like no lisa (laughs) i just want to mention or point out rather that erica has been eating. And the only reason why I'm noticing this is because nobody on Beverly Hills actually eats food. But she was pot like bacon, give me more, eggs, yes please. Um biscuits, don't mind if I do. Cookies, thank you. And I love that. And I love that. This is not a shaming moment. I appreciate because Beverly Hills usually has like the most beautiful food displays And the most expensive bullshit things that you could ever hope to put in your mouth. And they don't eat it. So thank you. I'm thrilled that Erica's, you know, surprise divorce stress eating is eliciting some actual normal behavior out of her. So before yoga, Lisa decides to go check on Sutton. And she's sitting in bed, rubbing her face with a purple face roller to 
in her words, help her anxiety. So Lisa asks how she is, and she says she's a little angry. And she got upset about not being in on the prank, and it fueled her paranoia. And then she stops and says, roller. <laughs> and starts starts up with the face roller again. And Lisa's like, are you rubbing your face to stop from crying? And she's like, yeah. Yeah, I am. So Kyle walks in. And shout out to Ray Sani, who did the brave work of putting herself out there and admitting that she's actually liking Kyle this season. I posited a question. Well, really a suggestion of what are we liking Kyle or are we liking the Kyle under the tutelage and under the um, dynasty that is Kathy Hilton? I think I love to see a dynamic between sisters and we don't often see that on the show. Um, do we ever see that on the show? I mean, aside from like Caroline and Dina, am I missing something? Oh, those twins from those twins from New Jersey. We don't recognize, we don't know her. We don't know them. Um, but I, I always like to see a sister dynamic and obviously the dynamic between Kyle and Kim is very different between Kyle and Kathy. And Kath, Kim obviously feels, or excuse me, Kyle obviously feels some sort of maternal role that she has to take over Kim and her life. But with Kathy, she can just let her be, just let her shine, you know, just let her get on stage and do what she's doing. Um, and so I'm liking the Kyle that is neutered is probably a harsh word. Like she's, there seems to be a more laid back um, aspect to her, but I also, I think Kathy has something to do with that. I mean, Kathy's really brightened all of our lives, hasn't she? <laughs> and so Kyle should not be, Kyle's not left out of that either. I, I'm loving, I'm liking Kyle under the, <sighs> she's, I don't, mm, how do I say this? I think she thinks that she's top dog. She always has. Let's be real about that. But something about having her older sister there is like, they're almost, she's allowing Kathy to shine and she's allowing, not, she's not allowing. She's thinks that she's allowing Kathy to shine. Kathy's shining on her own. Let's be real. But what I'm saying is Kyle has no problem playing on the same league as Kathy because Kathy is the aspirational sister, right? So she's kind of the air of like entitlement and I'm the queen bee is gone. And that's what I'm enjoying about her. So Kyle walks in to Sutton and Lisa having a conversation and Lisa's like, I was trying to explain to Sutton that like she can cry if she needs to. We don't need to be using this emotional support face roller. Um, just let it out. You know, when in doubt, cry it out. And Kyle's like, well, she has been crying. <laughs> and then Sutton says that Kyle was a little bit tough on her the night before. And we see Kyle doing part two of her, like, Big Kathy uh, cosplay of, you know, doing that, like, Mom, I'm grabbing you by the crook of your elbow and saying, like, hey, get get your, like, you're being oversensitive right now. Like, are you looking at me? fucking pay attention to me right now. And Sutton looks at her like, bitch, I am not your daughter. <laughs> but was she wrong though? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. So then Kyle says, you were being irrational last night. Like, that's the truth. Thank you. Thank you. This is what I, like, she just says it. 
you know, lay it all out on the table. We don't have to make a big drama about it. You don't have to talk behind somebody's back. You don't have to tell Erica. You don't have to tell Dorit. Oh, you know, Sutton, uh, how she affected me. And uh, like, we're just going to really have to, I don't see how we can get through this. You know, none of that like traditional Kyle Richards bullshit. Just say it. Just say it. So after Kyle's like, no, you really were being irrational, Sutton legit opens her phone, y'all, and says, well, let me add that to the list of names that I've been called. I was ridiculous, crazy, paranoid, irrational, and too sensitive. Got it. (laughs) And if she could close her phone, she would have. And then Kyle's like, well, don't be defensive right now. Add that to the list. Defensive. (laughs) Iconic. That was a great scene for Kyle. Probably one of the top ten scenes of Kyle Richards of the whole franchise. And I'm going to stand by that. So then in a confessional, Lisa says she shows us, like, just the highlights of people calling her, like, you know, of um, verbal assaults past on on Lisa, you know, where um, uh, I want to call him PK. He's not PK. (laughs) How, How quickly they fall. Ken... You guys, once a housewife is off housewives, it's so hard for me to, like, keep them in my brain. I just don't have space for it, you know? Um, So, flashback of Ken um, calling her schizophrenic and um, somebody calling her, see you next Tuesday. Uh, I think that was Kim Richards. Thank you very much. Calling her, see you next Tuesday. Um, Somebody called her the worst friend. And, you know, just just all the hits of, of Lisa just taking it right on the lips. And she's like, you know, people call me names all the time. Like, you know, own it, baby. Just take it. So Garcelle and Crystal sit down in another room. And Crystal says that she has mixed feelings about this whole situation. Did you guys see on her Instagram? She she posted a bunch of pictures of the trip, the Tahoe trip. And she's like, oh, um, here's the pictures from uh, Lake Tahoe. See you never. (laughs) So, I mean, wow, really, things really took a turn with Crystal, didn't they? Whew. Let's talk about that in a second. Um, so Garcella asked Crystal what happened between the fight, you know, with her and Sutton, because she wasn't there. And Sutton apparently didn't tell her. And Garcella is actually very shocked by what Crystal is telling her about how I don't, I see everybody the same. We all go through the same. We're all on the same level. And she's like, wow. This is confusing to me, and I think a lot of, gosh, there are so many layered levels to what we've been seeing on New York and Beverly Hills in the past couple of weeks, and now, you know, there were a lot of great conversations had about what happened between Ebony versus Lou, and what happened between um, Crystal and Sutton, and now the conversations are sort of shifting between well, why is Ebony siding with Leah and not fucking with Heather? And why is Garcelle continuing to side with Sutton? Or not side with her, but, you know, like, it not hold her to account in the way that people feel like they should be. Um, and, yeah, to see Garcelle kind of waltz her way around Sutton... I mean, is it her responsibility? No, because she wasn't there and she is never going to... I mean, she will see... She'll watch a show, of course, but, like, you know, not her... Would it have been right for Garcelle? Or not right, but, like, would it have been necessary for Garcelle to be like, hey, I heard that you said this and, you know, like, we need to talk about it? Maybe. I mean, because the topic of conversation originally was with her and Kyle. I don't know. I don't know. 
But I also think that there is this disconnect when it comes to black people's responsibility to calling people out and how and when they should do it and how frequently. And it's just a very complicated thing. Like we saw that scene of Heather calling Ebony articulate and Ebony just being like, you know what? I know she means well, like I'm not going to fight this battle. You know, I, I think there can oftentimes be this conception or this perception that we want to confront everything and every little situation and every microaggression and every um, slight of our friends. And it's just exhausting. (laughs) It's like we have this responsibility that we didn't ask for and certainly don't want. And then there's also the responsibility to like, talk about every single little thing that may or may not happen or does happen. And you know, that's exhausting too. Like we deserve, just like Ebony said, we deserve a whole range of emotions and to be able to like fully express ourselves without being called angry black women. We also deserve a break, you know, (laughs) we also deserve to, you know, if we want to just let something go, then we can let something go. If we want to maintain a friendship, you know, that's entirely people's choice. That's entirely people's choice. Meanwhile, Sutton's still in bed with Kyle and her nose sticker in case anybody forgot that she had a nose job. Did you guys remember? Did you guys forget? Kyle got a nose job. Um, She's trying to, Kyle's trying to help her out by telling her, like, I think you need to apologize, but Sutton refuses. And not only does she refuse, she's totally confused as to why she should apologize for something that she's not sorry for. And it's like, well, if you're not sorry, definitely do not apologize. But you should be sorry. And this is weird that you don't see it. And then we see Crystal telling Garcelle that she's not looking for an apology, but she just wants Sutton to be cool with her. And Garcelle's like, okay, I hear you. But at some point, things are going to go to a head, come to a head. And Crystal's like, is this not us coming to a head? (laughs) Uh, So then we see the ladies go out on a boat ride and Garcelle asks Erica if she's spoken to Tom. And she's like, you know, I talked to him this morning. He's at work right now. He's in the courts and he dedicated his life to law and God bless him. That's who he really is. And he loves it. Like, well, was he at the courts because he was working or was he at the courts um, drumming up a, a divorce decree for you? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that, Erica. At some point, a seagull comes to join the gals on the boat and everybody freaks out except for Kathy. Thank you. Kyle tells everybody, like, oh, I think that bird was trying to take my Chanel beanie. And it's like, girl, nobody was trying to take your beanie, Chanel or otherwise. Don't worry. Your beanies will stay safe. I I know that um, Teddy's husband might have some shaky security when it comes to uh, a home security system. But I can guarantee if they take anything out, everything else out of your home, your beanies will be here to stay. In a confessional, Kathy's like, I feel like I'm the only one here who's not a drama queen. And then she does an impression that I won't even dare to recreate. But I will tell you guys, for those of you who don't watch the show, it sounded a lot like Kyle. (laughs) It sounded a lot like Kyle. (laughs) Um, Erica then whispers to Dorit, like, because Dorit's 
on the boat, but she's sitting a little bit by herself in front of everybody else. And Erica, you know, clearly understanding why Sutton was so insecure the night before, decides to whisper to Dorit about Sutton. And she's like, you know, I think Sutton looks like she's about to cry. (laughs) And Dorit's like, you know, I just get uncomfortable in these types of moments. And we see the flashback of her um, getting into it with Sutton, the iconic let the mouse go conversation where Dorit was under the impression that Sutton was going to flip the fuck out because she said she was going to at uh, Lisa's kids fashion launch. Are they still doing that? Are Siebel, what is it called? DNA? Deli- yeah. It, are they still doing that? They can't possibly be. They can't possibly. <laughs> um, so Erica's like, Okay. Ask Sutton if she's okay. And Sutton's like, yeah, I'm just sitting here being quiet. And then Kathy is like, she is now sitting by Sutton. And she turns to Sutton and says, you know, I'm the type of person who, where if somebody asks me something like that, I will cry. And that is me. It's not me so much now, but it's definitely me if I'm already feeling some type of way. And you can pick up on it. Oh, it's, it's on. It's on. Tears or anger. And a lot of times both. That's a fun combination for me. The the, um, the duality of being a Pisces. And a quadruple Pisces at that, you know? <laughs> anyway, Sutton asks Crystal to talk. So they move to this, like, private area. And she brings out that damn purple face roller again. And she tells Crystal, this is my self-soother today. <laughs> and then Sutton says, listen, Crystal, I just didn't like being called ridiculous. So... Let's rewind here. I'm trying to imagine being Crystal and I'm sitting across from Sutton and seeing her pull out a purple emotional support face roller. And then she opens her mouth to tell me that she does not like to be called ridiculous. Like I would have so many jokes teed up. I would just have to do exactly what Crystal did, which would say, okay. Then Sutton goes on to say, you know, I feel like sometimes you can be very abrupt to me and Crystal's like, all right, so this is where we're going. (laughs) And then someone's like, well, you're laughing at me right now. And obviously I'm really upset. And Crystal says, okay, okay. (laughs) What Sutton is not picking up on and why would she? Because let's look at the history is that Crystal already knows where this is going. And she's like, okay, Sutton was being problematic towards me, and now she, much like Luann, wants me to apologize because I felt some type of way about what I perceived to be problematic or racist behavior. And now I have to apologize for making you feel bad because I reacted to you fucking up. It's wild. It's wild. (laughs) Crystal kept it a lot cuter than I could because I would have been like, girl, I would have thrown that roller into the lake <laughs> so then sudden gets sarcastic she gets upset about um crystal being you know quote-unquote sarcastic and how this isn't the time for all that and crystal's like i'm not being sarcastic and so then sudden says i just want to hear from your side from last night and Crystal's like the prank stuff i had nothing to do with any of the pranks that happened last night and if anything i was trying to get you involved and you told everybody I kicked you. <laughs> and someone's like, well, you did right on my ankle. And it's thin. My legs are very thin. 
So then Crystal says, I wasn't doing anything to you last night. If anything, I was trying to include you. You turned on me, and you've shown me that you're nothing but an untrustworthy person. I don't trust being around you. I don't trust your reactions. And it makes me feel a bit like a doctor. Like, I'm not a doctor, but it feels kind of manic. I can't deal with crazy people. And this is where I have to be on Sutton's side just a little bit and say that I don't like, like, we have to divorce ourselves from calling people crazy. And behavior is crazy. Like, Sutton is unhinged for certain. Does Sutton need therapy? Yes. Does Sutton require a clinical diagnosis? I'm not sure. But I know for sure that we need to stop calling people crazy because it's almost like Ebony saying that, like, women, black women are not allowed a full range of emotions. I think that a lot of women are not allowed a full range of emotions from people, but it's more difficult and happens more frequently with black women. But I think women in general are oftentimes not allowed to be upset or they're not allowed to assert themselves or we're bitches or we're not allowed to say, you know, do this, do that, or we're bossy, or we're, you know, y'all know what I mean? Like, and so for was what Sutton did, like, completely ridiculous, yes. Is it necessary to call her crazy? No. We can, we've evolved and we've moved past that. I also want to say something struck me in watching this scene. I've seen a lot of people compare Crystal to Heather DeBrow from Orange County, and I believe... I I recognize that and I also agree in that because she's there's something that's very like what was I saying the other day that like Crystal has the air much like Heather of somebody who is constantly dressed in expensive fabrics like Heather probably does not have like a cotton poly blend t-shirt anywhere in her wardrobe. And I feel the same of Crystal. And they also have the confidence of women who know that they have secured a bag and that they are going to be wealthy for the rest of their lives. And also the confidence of somebody who like kind of likes their partners, you know? So that's a hard thing to find. I think (laughs) wealthy gets along, got the bag. There's really no problems that I think is what we're touching on. But also as a Kardashian expert, I think that what Crystal is doing is a lot like Courtney Kardashian. She, when she is confronted with something or something that people don't like or something that she's done that has hurt people's feelings. It's very like, Shut down. Okay, okay, okay. And then it moves into like, oh, well, I just think that you feel that way because you're like a psycho and you like don't know how to handle your emotions. Like that is, (laughs) that is what she's giving me right now. And like, I'm kind of into it, but also I'm not liking the crazy stuff. In a confessional, Crystal says, there's no way that this is the first time somebody is called Sutton crazy. Maybe it's the first time they've said it to her face, but it's not the first time somebody's called her that. And that, you know, reluctantly, I have to agree. Um, 
Hassan says, you don't even know me. And Crystal says, that's the thing. All you've shown me is crazy. <laughs> and then Crystal says, you know, all the other women have been nothing but nice to me. And Sutton's like, well, maybe I'm just a little bit different because I'm a little bit shy. And that makes me, you know, it takes me a little while to warm up to people. And, you know, I just need to trust them. And it's like, well, okay, fine. But that wasn't you. That comp- You, like, fully confronted crystal that was not the behavior of a shy person okay and i don't think people who have walls up and who take a long time to like let people in aren't they might be perceived as like icy but this is not what we're seeing out of you sutton this is not icy behavior this is just like racist (laughs) so what does crystal have to do to get you to stop being racist be nice to you okay Then Sutton's like, okay, it's not working. Whatever tactics I'm trying to try are not working on Crystal. And, you know, now I'm going to go for the Hail Mary, feel sorry for me, and say, you know, I've just been a nervous wreck since 7 o'clock this morning, and I was going to leave. And then she starts to get choked up and grabs that damn face roller again. (laughs) Get me out of here. Then Sutton starts to cry about moving out of her house and, Saying, you know, I just think that I was pretending that it was easier than it actually was. And, you know, I apologize if I projected that. And Crystal nods. But in a confessional, she's like, moving out of your house is not a reason to attack and act like a crazy person. So she does tell Sutton she's happy to move forward. But baby steps might be the best way to do that. And so they go back downstairs to the rest of the ladies. And honestly, like... I appreciate this, like, con- stupid and annoying conversation because the only thing, the little scenes that we saw of the other ladies on the boat were um, them looking at um, so the house from Godfather 2 and some, uh, like, rich bitch bought a bay and, and put a 36-bedroom house on the land. Okay. Cool. The ladies go back to the house and they find that the chef made homemade donuts and they made cookies. You guys, how sick of it that I noticed last week the Kardashians were at the same house and they're like, quote unquote, final family trip for the show. They were at this Tahoe house. So when I saw those cookies, you know, I flash in my mind of last week's episode where Kim walks into the house the first time they're walking in she sees a plate of cookies and flips the fuck out she's like i told them that i didn't want these cookies why would they have these here i'm gonna gain 15 pounds i don't even want to see them let's throw them away put them over here because i don't want to see them this is all a freak out that they are claiming is because of kanye and the uh, impending divorce (laughs) but there was a point where kim takes the tray and it's like you know one of those like tea party um trays where it's like three tiered of like just confections right and then the cookies were on the bottom so she takes that whole three tiered tray and puts it back where the chef is and you can just see a flash of that chef who looks at kim who's like oh what did i do why is this woman screaming (laughs) why is this woman who smells like bronzer screaming at me um about some damn cookies and i noticed i was like oh that is the woman I could tell. They blurred out her face on Keeping Up, but I could tell that was the exact same woman. God bless her. And honestly, like, the cookies didn't look that good, to be honest. 
didn't seem like something worth having a meltdown over, but okay. Okay. Well, everybody sits down and Kyle has to make a big to-do about how the stitches inside of her nose, because she got a nose job, you guys, they make her, they tickle. And so they make her sneeze. And so she has to be a big show where she gets up from the table and, and, you know, like socially distance from everybody so she can open mouth sneeze about three feet away from everybody as if that would matter. So now everybody's got to be exposed. Uh, Kyle, didn't you get COVID? I think you did. Everybody's got to be exposed to all your nasal drips and uh, stitches. What, what if, what if Eric, what if one of your stitches popped and went right into Erica Jane's eye? What was she going to do then? Okay. She really doesn't think about other people. Anyway, <laughs> um, at this point, Garcelle, and I love that she just point blank asks these questions. I love them. And I also love to see Erica act like unfazed by them, but also like she tries to be kind of shady, but then she just can't do it because she just doesn't have the range. So Garcelle asks everybody who all here has gotten a nose job. And Erica in a confessional is like, oh, you know, like, I don't mind people asking me about my work done as long as I can ask you what you've had done. And, you know, maybe if you don't look good, then I'll suggest a couple doctors to you. And I'm like, is that shade towards Garcelle? Garcelle v. Beauvais? It, it certainly can't be shaved over um, supermodel of the... Garcelle? No. Who are you? Be, who in this group are you being shady towards? Because Garcelle's the one who said it. So, wh- what's T-Girl? Because I know you're not talking about that face. Erica says she got her nose job when she was 41, and Dorit's like, well, I've never had one. And the editors are shady as fuck because... They pan to everybody's reaction of like, huh, oh, that's not what I expected her to say. (laughs) And then Kyle in a confessional says, you know, I know a lot of things can be changed by contouring. I've seen her do it. I know she's like a makeup girl, but I also know that most people here think she's lying. And it's like, Kyle, just say that you think she's lying, girl. Just say that you think she's lying. A side note, Dorit did say that um, before the season, she went to Kyle's doctor to see if she could also get a nose job. And the doctor, I guess, said something like, I can tell that you've not had a nose job before. And that's supposed to be the clarification that she's not had a nose job. Who gives a shit? (laughs) I feel like in LA, people give out nose jobs on people in in New York too. Girls get nose jobs for their 16th birthday and it's nothing, you know, who cares? And then if it wasn't shady enough, they show a side-by-side picture of Dorit 1995 and Dorit 2020. And I mean, I'm inclined to believe that she might because the tip of her nose is still the same. And if we, not to invoke the name of the Kardashians again, but if we know anything from Chloe Bikini Gate, is that Chloe does have her original nose and this like Michael Jackson um, pixie upturn thing that she's doing is clearly the power of uh, contouring Photoshop and Thor. By the power of Thor... <laughs> Chloe manages to have an upturned nose in her pictures. It is 
I, I don't know. I wanted to believe Dorit because I believe in Dorit. You know what I mean? And then Kathy Hilton fucking kills me. She points to her nose and does this Shirley Temple voice and says, well, I had a little something done. <laughs> She's a delight. She's a delight. Kathy did a little bit of acting, right? But not too, not as much as Kyle and Kim. I think some, we've got a... Something's happening here. I would like to see Kathy on the big screen. I would like Kathy on the big screen. I think we deserve to see that. I... Something... we got a star in our midst. And I feel like she's being severely underutilized. Um... On Watch What Happens Live, Kyle was on with Paul Shear, I think. And there, you know, we all know that Beverly Hills was supposed to have Kathy on it. But did we know that this Beverly Hills almost wasn't a thing and it was supposed to be a show entirely centered around Kathy, Kim, and Kyle? Maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. I don't know. Would we have liked that? I, As much as I am like, damn, I wish we had Kathy earlier, I think we got her at the right time. I think she's a breath of fresh air. We obviously would have had a much different show if we saw, like, first season Kim and Kyle dealing with Kathy. <sighs> I think Kathy would have left season one. I don't know. I, I'm, I, We're right on time, you know? There's an old... Uh, church song for all you blacks the no it's called i think it's called he's an on-time god <laughs> but one of the lyrics it says he may not come when you want him but he'll be there right on time and that's how i feel about kathy so the ladies are all sitting down for dinner and somebody's like hey where's crystal and kyle says well i got a text from her and she says she's not coming down for dinner and Garcelle says, well, I also heard from her, Crystal, and I think she's kind of losing her shit a little bit. So Sutton speaks up and says, you know, I just wanted to apologize because I think that I was a little bit strange last night and not quite myself. And I'm figuring out that I left my dream, like my Barbie dollhouse, and it took a toll on me. And, you know, we're all exhausted. And I do think I feel left out. And that triggers me. But I apologize to all of you because you didn't deserve that behavior. This is a far more thoughtful and measured apology to flipping out over a joke that wasn't even about her than her apology to Crystal for her microaggressions when it comes to race. How is that possible? How it, how sway? How, how did we get here? How did we get here? I think that felt very calculated to me. Very calculated. And I know I said see, episode one of this season, I am holding Sutton in high regard, but only on the strength of her friendship with Garcelle. And that strength is quickly waning. It's virtually non-existent at this point. Um, so Lisa begins a speech on how this year has been tough and how she's grateful to know all the women in the group, even though they've had some tough moments and they're working through some stuff and, she says, you know, my relationships with women, with other women, have helped me learn a lot about myself. And it hasn't all been great. And Garcelle says, I would agree. I would agree about it not all being great. <laughs> Garcelle does not fuck with Lisa. <laughs> and I love it. I love it. I 
Love it because she told her. She told Lisa, it is going to be a long road with you when it comes to me. And she is not letting her up on it. And it's so funny to me. Like, I just, I love it because Lisa takes it. Like, she hears the jabs and she's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to let this, I'm going to let it sink in. And I, I appreciate that dynamic, even if it is, uh, uh, frenemies at best. But then Lisa keeps talking and then she says, you know, she's had a very rough past year with people saying she's the worst friend and she gets it and she's talked to Harry a lot about it. And then she tells the story. She's like, Harry told me a story and I'm going to tell you guys and everybody like the way she sets this up thinks that this is about to be a profound like, we're all going to leave this table different people after hearing this. And I, well, I think they, I think we were all very different people. Wow. Okay. So Harry had a story and he was telling Lisa about a time where he had gone out for a drink with a very close friend of his. They parted ways. They went home or so Harry thought. Um, and then the guy trigger warning, you guys trigger, trigger warning for sexual assault. So Harry and the guy separate, they go their separate ways and come to find out this friend of Harry's instead of going home or whatever he was supposed to be doing, he, um, sexually assaulted, he raped a, a girl and everybody's like, Wow they're clearly uncomfortable and they don't know what to say. Then Lisa continues to say that guy went to jail and all of their friend group wanted to go and visit him. But Harry said that he couldn't do that because he wasn't going to be blindly loyal to his friend that he did not agree with. And Garcelle's like, wait, so the point of that story is that you're saying you couldn't blindly support Denise? (laughs) And Lisa's like, yes, thank you. You get it. Thank you, Garcelle. What the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck? Why would you... Why would... Girl... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 
in a confessional, Garcelle says, you know, I think Harry did the right thing, but there's no way anybody should compare that situation to what happened with Denise. That is not a story you should share again. Ever. <laughs> I'm, I'm a great Garcelle. What did she think she was? Girl, she really was like, I came prepared with this antidote from Harry Hamlin and y'all bitches are not going to be able to take this. And they weren't, but not in the way you thought, Lisa. Wow. What a weird thing to say. (laughs) Erica tries to help Lisa by saying, well, Lisa maybe had some information about the situation that nobody else in the group knew. And Garcelle says, Erica, do you know what that information is? And she says, no. I'm like, okay, well, why would you even bring that up? Is this because Lisa told you there, Denise said something to me and you're like trying to put it out there? Or do you just assume that maybe Lisa knows more about Denise than she's letting, or she's willing to admit? I thought that was very weird. And in a confessional, Lisa says that she's like a vault and the secrets that Denise has shared with her, she will take to her grave. So then Lisa at the table continues to say that she was operating off of the information she knew and that she was never going to share that. And I like, why didn't she say that a long time ago? Why didn't you say that with the conversation you had with Garcelle? earlier in the season why did you not say that at any point last season why did you not say that during the reunion why did you not say that over social media why did you not say that at all why is this only coming up now that you have you're allegedly the vault to all of denise's dirty dark secrets and that's why you went so hard on her last season i'm calling bullshit on this i do not believe it she says, there were a lot of things that I did that were not good, but I also protected that situation, and I feel like I took a bullet. So, like, you're now martyring yourself because you're... It's almost like she's trying to say that she was such a good friend to Denise that she didn't out whatever secrets that she held, but instead decided to just go after her and peck and peck and peck at her. And she admits that she did this, to try and get Denise to tell the truth. Like you were playing some sort of long con to bully your friend into being honest because she had told you something in confidence and you were too good of a friend to share it, but not good enough of a friend to just let her slide. (laughs) Like, I don't like, what the fuck did Denise do? Like, because now that you're not, you know, when people say, like, oh, I can't share this. And it ends up being not even nearly a big a deal as, like, the secret that you made it out to be would lead people to believe. Like, what the, like, what could, like, Denise must have done something so horrible. But again, why wouldn't you have said that at the time? Lisa says that her fault was in pushing the issue instead of letting Denise live. And, yeah, I agree. So, of course, we now have to check in with Erica Jane's foreshadowing moment of the episode. And she's complimenting Garcelle on her weight and says that she's looking good. Garcelle's like, no, I just look like a sausage. I wore a jacket last night because I just, like, wasn't feeling my body. And what you see right now is smoke and mirrors. And Erica's like, well, honey, my whole life is smoke and mirrors. And in a confessional, Erica says, 
nothing what you see in real in life is real and you really don't know anything about anybody and that's really the truth and yeah yep can't can't argue on that one Lisa jumps into the pool. She's trying to get everybody to, like, go in with her. And she's screaming and screaming, ah, Kyle, ah, Garcel, ah, Erica, ah, Kathy. Please, please stop. Thank you, Garcel, for being like, no, enough. <laughs> and Lisa took it and was like, okay, I'm going to do my own thing. Sutton does end up joining her. They end up doing some sort of synchronized swimming routine for the rest of the women. And Lisa starts talking about Esther Williams. A woman that I only know because, like, I don't know. I heard about synchronized swimming, like, when I was a child. Like, Esther Williams. Is that what you, you bring into the table? I, <laughs> the, your, your aspirations to be Esther Williams, an old Hollywood lady who used to do synchronized swimming. Girl, this is what we're working with? Thank God. Thank God for Kathy and Crystal. Thank you. The other women are outside sitting by the fire, and Kathy says to Kyle, Doogie, don't get too relaxed. <laughs> and everybody's like, what are you talking about? And Kathy's like, I walked in on Kyle, and she was laid out on the bed like a centerfold, naked. And Kyle's like, I was trying to sleep, and you walked in on me. <laughs> Doogie, don't get too relaxed. As if she, if Kyle was going to show her pussy lip to everybody, because she... <laughs> Girl, I love Kathy. I love her so much. Crystal comes out at around 11 o'clock. Erica finds her first. And Crystal's like, you know, I had a very lonely day. And I was just, like, overwhelmed more than I thought I would be. And now there's this whole mystery. Because we have not seen Crystal since the boat ride. She didn't come to dinner. She is, like, creeping out of her bedroom at 11 o'clock at night talking about how she was so overwhelmed and nobody seems to know what she's talking about. So everybody goes to bed except for Kyle and Crystal. Kyle has been like the one who's been staying up the latest, these three episodes. And I just have to wonder, like, does Kyle, are they, did Kyle get a different contract? Because y'all know that like, I think it's uh, Luann and Sonia. And I think most of the New York women are now getting paid by the scene and not by, or getting paid by the, yeah, getting paid by the scene and not like a, just a base contract. And I just wonder, like, is Kyle just like staying up so she can get that check? Good on her for that. So they're t- she's talking to Crystal and Crystal's like, well, you know, the night before I went to bed around 1130. I just gotten out of the shower. I was naked and Sutton like walked in on me and she, you know, came to give me my coat. And then Crystal says, I was just so startled that I dropped to the ground to cover myself. And Sutton's like, oh, sorry, whatever you're doing in there. And then we see the flashback that we hadn't seen before where Sutton does, she knocks on Crystal's, says like, hey, can I come in? She walks in. We don't hear Crystal say like, come in, obviously, because she was naked. And then Sutton says, oh, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm going to bring you your coat. And Crystal's like, oh, I was just putting my pajamas on. And then Sutton walks out. It seemed like a very, like, she wasn't hanging out with her. Drop the coat and leave, right? So Crystal says, it just, it felt like it was weird. And I felt weird that Sutton was trying to make me feel weird when we walked in the bedroom. So it seems like Crystal's feeling some type of way, not only because... Sutton walked in on her naked, but mostly because Sutton 
in her mind felt like Sutton was like intimating that Crystal was like getting freaky in her bedroom and she was like trying to make jokes about it. So Kyle's a little bit confused and like, that's why you didn't come to dinner. And Crystal's like, you know, it just has been a long weekend and I just didn't want to deal, but I apologize for missing dinner. And Kyle's like, okay, but did you guys talk about that situation when you were on the boat? And Crystal's like, I didn't even think about it. Cause it was just weird. Like it was, just weird. And in a confessional, Kyle says, this happened 24 hours ago. If it was so upsetting, why didn't she tell any of us at any point during the day or on the boat with Sutton or after the boat? And I think that's a fair question because you're acting, you're saying that this was such a huge deal and you're intimating that you felt like there was a violation, but then to say like, I didn't even think about the situation later, it like it can't be both. So Kyle asked her that, and Crystal's like, I just didn't want to trigger Sutton again because she's done it the past two nights, and I didn't want to have another one of those nights. And I, fair. Kyle says, well, she was on her best behavior tonight, and Crystal's like, well, I just wonder maybe if that's because I wasn't there. Fair enough. So in the morning, everybody's getting ready to leave, and Sutton walks into Crystal's room again, probably to take a little peek. Just kidding. Just kidding. Sutton says she wants to end on a good note because, you know, she knew Crystal didn't go to dinner the night before, and she feels like maybe she was part of that. And Sutton says, I didn't do a great job of including you in the group, and I should have been nicer. And again, I have to ask, Sutton, what are you talking about? This has nothing to do with you not including her in the group. It has everything to do with you trying to center yourself as the ultimate victim of white stereotypes by also stereotyping Crystal and making these like stupid comments. Like what this has nothing to do with Crystal not feeling included. What she was said to you on the boat was that everybody else has been nice to her except for you. Not that like you're the one who's, preventing her having other friendships with people you're not the ringleader girl <laughs> you're like Gretchen Wieners you're not running this show the crystal says I appreciate that but I don't know if you remember or not last night like I maybe you were too drunk to remember but I don't know if you remember a lot not last night but you came into my room and son's like yeah I gave you a coat and crystal's like but I was naked and crystal's like I'm sorry and Sutton apologizes. and crystal says she starts to get emotional and she says, you know, when somebody drops to the ground and tries to cover their body, you don't stay in there and say, what were you doing over there? And Sutton's like, oh, I didn't mean it like that. And Crystal's like, well, I just felt like my boundaries were crossed and my space was violated a little bit and it was weird. And Sutton's like, okay, well, I did knock on the door. And Crystal's like, well, it was creepy and weird. And Sutton says, well, I don't think it was creepy or weird. I think it was awkward. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I wasn't being judgmental of you. So in a confessional, Sutton says, I don't know why she or anyone would find that creepy or weird unless they grew up in a women's prison. <laughs> still still working out the analogy there. I can't find it, but I'll let you know if I do. Um, Sutton says, I know you don't need more friends, but I would like to be one to you, and I'm probably going to send you flowers tomorrow. I, I, what did we think about Crystal's, like, complete emotional turnaround 
I thought that was very strange, but it could... I mean, I, I think everybody would assume that that sort of reaction must have come to a place from a place of a past situation that was triggering her present mental state. It was very strange to see her cry and be so emotional and feel so violated. Not that it's strange for her to feel that way, but it just felt like such a 180 from what, and I guess because we just like Crystal had the conversation, we never saw her again and now she's crying and it's jarring. Jarring, I think would be the fair statement. So the last scene we see in Tahoe is of the women gathered around waiting for Dorit to show up. And then the screen says, four days later, dot, dot, dot. It's election morning. Hoda and Savannah Guthrie are talking it up on the Today Show about how what a big day it was. And they're doing their whole morning show stick. And then it cuts to Kyle at her makeup station looking at her phone. And then we saw Dorit looking at her phone and saying, What? And then a text from Erica appears on the screen. I also think it's worth mentioning that she texted this at 9.15 in the morning. So that would have been quite early for the courts. She must have filed either the day or the days before and was just like, oh, I know this is about to hit the news, so I'm going to get ahead of the story with these girls. So Erica says... Ladies, I truly consider you my close friends, and this is why I'm reaching out to tell you that I filed for a divorce this morning. Thank you for supporting me. This will be tough. Interesting. Um, so then Kyle, Dorit, and Lisa do a group FaceTime, and they're like, well, did you know? Did you know? And Lisa's like, nothing. Zero. Zilch. She said nothing that would indicate that this was going to happen. And Dorit's like... They've been married 22 years. Like, how did this just come out of nowhere? And Lisa's like, you know what? It's Erica. So whatever's going on, she had to do it like this. She couldn't tell anybody. And then the screen says to be continued. And I thought that was a, I wonder when exactly this conversation between Lisa, I have a feeling this was like a pickup shot that they did or a reshoot that they did. Because that was a very telling and foreshadowing and insightful statement out of one Lisa Rinna. Like, she must have had to do it this way. Knowing what we know now, I think that is a very poignant thing to say. Whew. I can't wait. Um, that's it for this week. I am going to be talking about the Erica Jane Housewife and the Hustler Hulu special coming out on this Monday over on the Patreon. So if you guys want to check me out on Patreon, I'm at patreon.com slash EBBM podcast. And there's a bunch of stuff on there. Just finished up the Ashley Simpson show, Lindsay Lohan's special with Oprah, um, celebrity weddings, Candy's wedding, a whole bunch of stuff. A lot of fun. Check it out. $5 a month, four episodes a month. Check it out. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank me for speaking. Be back next week. Bye.